Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Revelation 3, 14. Revelation 3, verse 14. Uh, a couple quick announcements. Uh, this Wednesday night, there'll be no uh, worship service. As you guys know, we have a Wednesday night worship service. So if you ever can't make Sundays and, and want to come worship God, we worship on Wednesdays together. And we've been doing a series called Whole. And I've been dealing with emotional health and wholeness, um, where you can grow in your relationships and grow in emotional maturity. It's been an exciting series. Um, so if by chance you work on Wednesdays, or maybe you have school on Wednesdays, or maybe you're at home watching CSI on Wednesdays, and the Lord will get you for that, for not being at church. Um, You can listen to our Wednesday messages online, and go there and listen to the whole series, but this week, if you show up at church on Wednesday, guess what? You're going to be locked out. There'll be no room at the end this week, because we're celebrating Thanksgiving with our families, and so there'll be none this week. Um, Also, too, as the holiday season approaches, we also, Thrive loves to to partner with our community. That's one thing uh, unique about our church, is we love to join with what God's doing in our community. Uh, One of the things is is the Angel Tree Program through Pregnancy Help Center of Chesterfield. Now, the Pregnancy Help Center of Chesterfield helps, um, especially maybe like, you know, teenage moms who get pregnant, don't know what to do, and they're maybe tempted to go have an abortion. And again, uh, you know, we, we believe in life here. So what, what we do is, is they, they go there and they not only help counsel the young, uh, young girl to, to choose life, but check this out. They also work with them and help them get self-sustaining jobs and, and are sustainable with what they do. So they actually have baby buck programs. The more classes they attend, they get baby bucks. They can buy things um, through that. And they really train them up. So what we're doing this year with that is we have an angel tree in the back. I think there's only four or five of those ornaments left. We can get more. Um, the, very, the first service was very eager. And so they got almost all the angel tree ornaments. But what you want to do is grab one of those ornaments. Um, it will have the kids' needs. And then also have a wish list of what they have. They have the needs first and then above and beyond the wish list. If you want uh, to help minister, make sure you get one of those ornaments. Um, Care with you, carry your kids, you can go shopping, talk about how you're going to bless the community. Bring that back with you um, with, the, with the present on probably December 18th or so, about a week before Christmas. Um, and make sure you sign up so we can get back in touch with you um, as well. One more thing, during the holiday season, our food ministry, man, they, they feed above and beyond what they usually do. We actually went from feeding 11 families per month, a week's worth of food last year, to feeding over 50 families per month on the last few months. That's a big jump, isn't it? Um, and, and, and we're definitely committed to continuing to minister to our community. And so if you want to bless our food pantry during the holiday season to help meet needs there, there are bags in the back, food line, donated um, paper bags, and there's a list of needs right there on the front of those bags that when you go shopping, you can actually bless the food ministry. It ministers twice a month here on Friday nights. Um, those are two ways we partner with the community. And then uh, finally, if you volunteer here at Thrive, if you serve on a ministry team, on a serve team at Thrive, we're going to bless you on December 13th, 11 a.m. We're doing a catered lunch for everybody who serves here at Thrive Church because we appreciate uh, the people who right now, as you're sitting here, they're, they're right now handling the babies and they're ministering to them. Uh, they're doing kids ministry. They did parking lot for you. The cafe was running. And I'm very appreciative of everybody who serves here at Thrive. And so December 13th at 11 a.m., it will be a good catered meal. If you serve, it would behoove you to be here. Um, it's going to be awesome. So those are kind of what's going on at Thrive over the holidays. And don't forget our Christmas Eve service coming up. Make sure you uh, bring in the family out 5 p.m. right here. And our Richmond campus will have a 5 p.m. service as well. As I said before, go ahead and turn to Revelation 3.14. 
And we've been in a series called The Seven now for several weeks. And we've been dealing with the seven churches of Revelation and looking at these churches in depth. And today we're going to look at the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for a beautiful day to worship you, to gather together with a community of believers, to sing of your goodness, to sing of your grace. Um, Lord, we love you in here. And we pray, Father, as we open up your word today, that it would speak life and speak truth to us. And that, God, that your word would ring true in our hearts. And may we love you more, Jesus. May we uh, serve you with all that we have. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Uh, Today I want to speak to you about apathy or about passion because passion matters and it matters to Jesus, the passion we have in our lives for him. Uh, There was one person who said this in a quote that I found. He said, the nice thing about apathy is that you don't have to show you're sincere in order to be serious about it. That's the nice thing about apathy. And loss of passion is something we all face in our spiritual walk with the Lord. You know, I mean, there's seasons where we're really intense and we're really serving Jesus. And there's seasons, you as I know, we all go through it. We don't have the same passion we used to have for the Lord. And what we're going to look at today is a church that actually lost their passion. And Jesus addresses that. It was the church at Laodicea. And the church at Laodicea was in the city of Laodicea. And I want you to I'll give you a backdrop real quickly on the city of Laodicea. It's very important. It was like the first century Beverly Hills. Silicon Valley, Irvine, California. Laodicea in the first century was the bomb to live. You wanted to live there. Very affluent. They had a lot of money. Had everything they wanted. So therefore the church was that way too. Because it was the church that was there. They actually had the first hot and cold water pipe systems uh, based on temperature uh, in the world. And, they, and, 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 and you hear this later. They, they piped them from the valley to the top of the mountain to get hot and cold water. They also rebuilt their city after an earthquake with their own money. They didn't need help from Rome. Um, They were very, very uh, rich there. And the result of this affluence is the people of Laodicea were very proud. They looked down on people. They were rich. They were prosperous. And there were multiple temples there to worship false gods and goddesses. They worshipped thousands. And people would travel from all over to worship false and false uh, goddesses. And so uh, what that meant was it was an area that was spiritually dark as well. Not just a a place where, you know, you have uh, money but also dark. But let me say this. In every one of the cities that you've looked at, And we've looked at in the book of Revelation, God reached cities in the first century. He didn't go after rural farm towns at first. And here's the reason why cities were strategic and cities are strategic today. Because people would come on trade routes through Laodicea. They would go there and do business. They would hear the gospel, receive the gospel, then go back to where they came from. So it's almost not like like Paul just traveling. Now people were traveling, spreading the gospel. And so these cities were very strategic to the Lord. And Laodicea was a place that was very strategic as well. And what we're going to look at today is a letter that the Apostle John actually writes to the church at Laodicea. Now now the backdrop is, if you weren't here the first week, that's online too. Uh, But the backdrop is this. The Apostle John, the oldest living apostle, he was 90 years old, most scholars believe. Um, They wanted to kill him, so they put him in, in in a vat to boil him, and he didn't die. 
They said, well, we'll just try to gouge his eyes out. They tried to gouge his eyes out, and he, he still didn't mess with them. So they sent him to the island of Patmos. It was a very sharp rock. As you walked on the rock, you would cut your feet. It was a place of criminals and thieves, much like a modern-day Alcatraz. And so the Apostle John is uh, on this island, and he's sitting down. He's away from all the other believers. There's no believers there. They couldn't get to him. And literally, the Apostle John kneels down, and you read chapter 1. He prays. He says, Dear Jesus, and then Jesus says, Yes. Jesus shows up to the Apostle John and begins to talk to him about the seven churches that he oversees and, and shares with him some rebukes, complaints, criticisms, and instructions to give the church. And today we're going to look at the last of the seven churches um, and the one in Laodicea. So look at Revelation 3.14. Let's break this down and just walk through the scripture uh, slowly together. It says this in verse 14. This is Jesus speaking to the Apostle John on that Sunday when he was just worshiping. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Now you remember in each one of these letters, Jesus announces himself as something. Remember the one with the sword I always talk about? He had the sword like Braveheart, like I love that Jesus. Um, he didn't have a little lamb, he was petting with a sword. Uh, he had the flames of fire in one, he called himself the son of God. Well, here he calls himself the faithful and true witness, and he says the beginning of God's creation. Uh, you got to realize that when you and I die, if you know Jesus, if you serve Jesus, then one day you will have a glorified body. That's the, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. Now, when you die, just so you know, from absent with the, uh, from the bodies, you're present with the Lord. So your spirit goes to heaven, right? Your soul goes to heaven. But at the last resurrection, realize this, is that we'll be given a glorified body. How many of you guys remember a few weeks ago, I talked about that in my life. I will have awesome hair. I will be tall, right? And even Jesus said he'll give you a new name. Maybe my name would be awesome. I don't know. But, but you won't really recognize me. See, Jesus was the first of all that. Remember after he was beaten and crucified and he died? When he rose again and, uh, and, and he was walking around, the disciples didn't even recognize him. He walked seven miles with a couple of disciples. They're like, dude, I didn't know it was Jesus. Because he was in a glorified body. And so he is the first fruits of that. Um, let me just help you out for a second. Um, do, do you guys promise to still love me? Okay, good. Some of you are like, I don't know yet. When you die, you don't become an angel. Alright? So it's like when, when somebody passes, don't say, I guess God needs another angel. Angels are created spirit beings who, who cannot be saved, who are, are just created by God to do his work and will. Um, you're actually a little better than the angels because you're God's the apple of God's eye. And so realize that you, you won't be an angel when you die. Okay? So just realize that, number one. Number two, one day you will have a glorified body as well. And if you've lost a loved one or faced that, you can always be assured that one day you guys are going to have glorified bodies being reunited and it's going to be awesome. And Jesus was the beginning of God's new creation with this. Verse 15 says this, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. Now realize in every one of these he tells every church what? I know the things you do. Guys, realize this in a loving way. Jesus knows everything going on in your life. It's not like, you know, you're, you're, you're going through a tough time. You get a, you know, maybe a letter or, or you get a bad report or something happens. You're like, oh no, God, this happened. He's like, what happened? I was just surfing Facebook. I was playing Candy Crush and I didn't know. Are you kidding me? It's like, oh my Lord, God, you know, the, you know, this team lost. I'm so upset. I didn't know. God knows everything, guys. 
He knows every detail in your life. He knows every thought. He knows every, and he still loves you anyway. He knows everything about every church that goes on. And so Jesus is intimately involved in our life. You'll never catch him, you know, all by, by surprise. I mean, has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? Think about that. That he knows already. So he says, I know all the things you do. And look what he says to the church at Laodicea. That you are neither hot nor cold. And we're going to unpack that in just a little bit. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, now watch this here. Remember there were Beverly Hills, affluent, Laodicea was rich. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But look what Jesus says. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. You know my, you know my prayer as, as I'm praying for Chesterfield County, for Richmond, as I drive and I just pray. I pray that people would see that they have, that they have a need for a Savior. That's the worst place you can be in when you don't know you need a Savior. That you think you're good. Everybody on earth, not just the Hitlers, but everybody need a Savior, right? We all need Jesus. We need to be saved from our sin. And these guys are saying, man, I don't need anything. I don't, I don't need God. I'm good, man. I got it here. So look what he says. He says in verse 18, So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. And I'll explain all this. Then you will be rich. And buy white garments from me so you'll not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Now what Jesus is doing, he's always connecting everything back to their, their context, right? Now, in that day and time, you know, they did a lot of trading and trade routes there, and, and they bought clothes, and they did gold. And Jesus is saying, look, man, you need to focus on what I can give you, because what I give you is eternal. What I give you will never perish. And he says the ointment for the eyes. In the first century in Laodicea, they had mineral springs there, and people would come from far away just to get this ointment to put on their eyes that they couldn't see well, or cataracts, and they thought this ointment would actually heal their eyes. And so they would travel to get there. He says, man, you need to get what I can give you, not what the world can give you. And look at verse 19. It's a very beautiful scripture which none of us like. He says, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. You know, Jesus loves us enough. I said this before. Never to leave us the way that we are. He loves you just the way that you are. With all your faults, all your failures, but he'll never leave you there. He loves you enough to to push you toward your potential. So now he gives them instruction. Look at this here. He says, so be diligent and turn from your indifference or your apathy. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal uh, with you together as friends. Now, if you've been in church two weeks, you probably have heard this in, in, in the uh, revival services, right? To get people saved. I stand at the door and knock. He's not talking to non-believers here. He's not talking to non-Christians. No, he's talking to the church at Laodicea. And what he's saying there is, I want to have a beautiful relationship with you. I want to know you. I'll come in and spend time with you if you'll just let me in. And many people and many churches just don't want Jesus to mess up their life. Because if he gets involved in stuff, man, I'm telling you, he may call you to the mission field. He may call you to do things you never thought you would do. Um, Jesus, sometimes when he gets involved with you, um, he's going to mess some things up. And they, he said, I will come in and, and have a meal with you. Look at this. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. For those who are victorious will sit with 
with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my Father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and what he is saying to the churches. Now, something interesting here. You've got to grab onto this. Last week we talked about Philadelphia, right? The church of Philadelphia had no rebukes. There was no, I mean, like, you almost sense Jesus has some compassion on them, like a poor puppy, like, oh. Remember, they're hanging in there like a hairy and a. He got it. He was here. The rest of you weren't. I hope you listen online. But Philadelphia was hanging in there, man. They were going through it, hanging in like a hair in a biscuit. They were really going. Through. And Jesus just felt compassion for them. There was no rebukes for Philadelphia. Let's flip the switch. Laodicea, there's no encouragements. Jesus has nothing good to say about this church or about these people. He actually has to come in and put them on blast. He's like, you know, you've got some things you need to deal with. And I say this because I love you. Have you ever heard somebody say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? You ever heard that? Well, Jesus actually, if you have nothing nice to say, just say the truth. (laughs) Some of you do that, right? And you get in big trouble. Listen, holidays are coming up. Be nice to your family that's coming in. And so one of the, the issues they dealt with there was, um, one of the rebukes was this. He called them lukewarm. And I want you to understand kind of what Jesus was talking about. Because he's always speaking to their context, right? To what they were going through. Laodicea was on a high mountain, kind of like I said, Beverly Hills and those things. They piped water from the valleys all the way up to the mountain. And what they were trying to do, they were the first place ever to have this, this intricate aqueduct system. They were trying to get cold and hot water up to the mountain. Now here's the deal. In the winter, guess what? They had plenty of what? Cold water, didn't they? In the summer, they had plenty of what? Hot water. But in those in-between seasons, what would happen is the water would come up. It'd be kind of like, not even, kind of just almost warm. Lukewarm means almost warm. It's like, you know, you're trying to get a shower. Don't you hate when the water runs out because your wife took a long shower to wash her hair? And then, I know, none of that happens to you, does it, men? Okay. Me either. No, I'm just joking. But, but, you know, you get in there and the water's lukewarm. Like, oh, it's the worst shower. Um, and that's kind of what was, was happening there is they could not get the water they want. And they complained about the water. One of the things about Laodicea, they complained all the time. Read the history books. They hated the water there. And they had this aqueduct system. Now, let me ask you this. Are there any coffee and tea drinkers in the house? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, then we'll pray for you because coffee and tea is awesome. Uh, who likes, during the winter, a good hot coffee or hot tea or hot chocolate? Right? Um, during the summer, a good cold glass of iced tea. Right? Sweet tea. Oh, yeah. How many of you guys like iced coffee in the, in the summer? Right? Summertime, you're drinking iced coffee. Now, I drink the hot stuff even during the summer. It just feels more real. But um, nobody likes lukewarm coffee. If you do, that's nasty. I'm sorry. I'm not even going to try to help you out from the pulpit. That's just weird and it's nasty. Lukewarm coffee is the worst. Matter of fact, um, when I first met my wife um, and, and we had first started dating, one of the, the big excursions that I had to do was I had to drive her to a wedding uh, for my cousin and it was four hours away, three and a half, four hours. And so I had to drive there, do the wedding, drive back. It's a long day. So anyway, on the way back, she is like knocked out. I mean, sleep. I'm talking about sleeping. Do you know? Sleeping beauty sleep. I mean, out. And I'm sitting there driving, and I have this cup of coffee I've been drinking. This three hours into it. Right? And I started getting sleepy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to drink this coffee. And as I drank the coffee, I realized it was lukewarm. 
It was like cold coffee, but it, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't iced coffee, it was cold, and it was nasty. I mean, guys, I would take a sip of it, I'd be like, oh, and the coffee didn't keep me awake. It was the mere shock of drinking that lukewarm coffee. Because here's what I was thinking. I don't want to kill this young lady who I'm starting to date, and I think she's awesome, and I don't want to get in a car wreck and hurt her. That would not be a good impression. So I drank all that coffee. So whenever my wife says, Give me a token of your love. I said, remember that night? Remember that night I drank all that coffee? That was terrible. It was nasty. You see, the same way is that those people were saying, we hate this water we have. Ugh. And Jesus turns around and says to them, as you're frustrated with your water, I'm frustrated with you. Your apathy and your lack of passion for me frustrates me. And that's simply what Jesus is saying. He said it's almost as bad that you'd actually... I'm not going to spill on the floor here because I'm about to clean it up. I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, sometimes you've heard that means you'll lose your salvation and God will get rid of you. Um, I don't really know what it means in this context. Let's just be real. All we do know is Jesus was frustrated with the church at Laodicea. They had become apathetic and had become uh, a, a life of no passion that they were living. And here's your big idea today to write in your notes. Write in your talk notes this. When we lead passionless lives, it frustrates Jesus. When we lead passionless lives, it frustrates Jesus. So what does it look like when we lose passion for the Lord? And let me just unpack this today for you um, in three points. The first one is this, and write this in your notes. We get content with the possessions of the world. We get content with the possessions of the world. Think about Laodicea. They said, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And many times, let me say this, are possessions wrong? No, they're not. Possessions aren't wrong. It's the purpose of your possessions. If the purpose of your possessions is to fill that void in your heart that really you should be filling with God, then that's when it becomes an issue. But when, when, when you know, you know you, you're sad and, and you're going through a tough time and you're depressed or whatever, and you want to buy something to fix that, that's the issue. And that's why Jesus told them, man, get what I have for you. Don't look for what the world has for you. And so sometimes possessions can actually uh, be a cover-up for an empty heart the more stuff that you get. I have a family member who does that all the time. And they keep going in debt and keep going in debt. And I know the real issue. They're not happy. They're not serving Jesus. They gave their life to Jesus and they walked away from Jesus and they are not happy. So they keep buying stuff that maybe it'll make them happy. And it never does. You can, you can, you can ride the boat all you want. You can play all the video games, get video games you want, watch as many movies on your surround sound, and you'll never be full of joy. One lady wrote this. I want to read this poem to you. As I studied for this message, I found this and it really gripped my heart. And Madri Holmes wrote this about possessions. I want you to listen to this. She said, help me not to put too much stock in possessions, Lord. I want things, sure. But life seems to be a continual wanting of things. From the first toys we fight over as children to our thrilled unwrapping of wedding presents for those we buy in our old age. Our concern is not primarily love and friends and pride in what we can do, but in things. Sometimes I'm ashamed of how much I want mere possessions. Things for my husband and things for the house and things for the children. Yes, and things for myself too. And this hunger is enhanced every time I turn on the television or walk through a shopping mall. My senses are tormented by the dazzling world of things. And all women said amen. Lord, cool these fires of wanting. 
Help me to realize how futile is this passion for possessions. Because, and this is what strips the values of my bone. One of my best friends died today in the very midst of her possessions. She was in the beautiful home she and her husband worked so hard to achieve. The home that was finally furnished the way she wanted it with the best of everything. She was surrounded by the oriental rug she was so proud of. The formal French sofas, the painting, the china, the glass, the handsome silver service. She had been snatched away while silently, almost cruelly, they still remain, Lord. I grieve for my friend. My heart hurts that she had so little time to enjoy the things that she had earned and that had meant so much to her. But let me learn something from this loss. That possessions are meant to enhance life, not become the main focus of living. Help me remember that we come into the world with nothing and we leave with nothing. Don't let me put too much stock in mere possessions. And so many times what happens is when we get we lose passion for Jesus, we fill our life with possessions, the new stuff, the new toys, the new boats. Let the, the giver of all the good possessions be your focus, not the possessions themselves. Here's the second point this morning to write in your notes. When we lose passion for Jesus, we get comfortable in our walk with God. We get comfortable in our walk with God. Uh, The Laodiceans had become comfortable in their walk with Jesus. There was no passion. It's almost like this. It's like, you know, if, and parents, okay, you know this probably better than anybody, right? If you're a teenager and you're talking to them and trying to get something, if they're sitting there like, are they listening? Probably not. Probably not. Or do they care? Probably not. But what they leaned in and did this. You may have their attention on something, right? Now it's the same way in our walk with God. You have a couple postures you can take in your walk with God. You can kind of be like, (laughs) who cares? Or you can be leaned in. It's called leaning into your relationship with Jesus. What actually matters. You know, I mean, I, I, I believe so many of us, if I asked you, man... How are you doing in your relationship with God? You'd probably say, oh man, I, he's an afterthought. I mean, yeah, church once a month, you know, we kind of do that, that thing. But there's not really a, a pursuit of the Lord. And, and can I just share this with you? I'm not talking, I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking with you. Because you know, you're, I struggle with the same thing. I'm not standing up here as a guru who just, I'm telling you what, I got it down pat. I struggle to have a great prayer life. I struggle to have a great devotion life. I know most pastors wouldn't say that, but I can tell you, I know them. I coach pastors. I spend hours on the phone with them per week. And we, even pastors deal with that. Because there's so much more we can get wrapped up in. And it's easy for us to, to get comfortable in our walk with God, isn't it? Oh, when there's not really a meaningful prayer life, there's not meaningful devotion time with the Lord. We're not growing in Jesus. And we don't pursue the Lord like we used to. In essence, what it means is we go on cruise control with Jesus. It's like... Sit back and relax. Now we should have an ease of relationship where it's beautiful. And you can just talk with Jesus and man, you just converse with him all day and you pray. But he shouldn't get comfortable with the Lord. And here's how you can, you can tell where you're at with God in your relationship with him. And here's how I can tell. What is God doing in your life right now? What is God doing in your life right now? 
If you've not paused long enough to answer that question and you don't know what God's doing, you probably have gotten comfortable in your walk with God. And so I try to stay current with the Lord. When I, and sometimes I can't answer that. Can I be real with you? I'll be like, what's God doing in my life? Dude, I don't even know because I haven't even paused enough to listen. Been writing sermons and planning events and blah, 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 blah. And even I get to the point, I don't know what God's doing in my life. I have to pause and renew that relationship with him. So what is God doing in your life right now? And here's the third and final point this morning. When you lose passion for Jesus, here's what it looks like. We get complacent on the mission of Jesus. We get complacent on the mission for Jesus. I mean, think about it. Laodicea. 40 B.C. had no Christians. Christ hadn't even come yet by then. Total non-Christian culture. And now there's a, a strong church there at the end of the first century. People have been reached with the gospel. People have surrendered to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Because God loved the people of Laodicea. He wanted to reach the people of Laodicea. And at some point that church lost that love for people far from him. At some point, they lost the focus of mission. And I believe it's easy for you and I to lose the idea that we're on mission for Jesus. How many of you have asked before, I want to know my purpose, Lord. Tell me my purpose in life. We've all asked that, right? We all want to know. Can I tell you what your purpose is? It's simple. Live on mission all the time. Don't just go on a missionary trip. Be a missionary trip. That means everywhere you go, man, you're sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus with people. You're always aware. You're like, what job should I take? Can I tell you, the job that you're at right now, God gives you that paycheck to be there because there's people that need him. There's people that need him worse than you need that paycheck. You say, I don't know, man. You don't have things tight. I'm, trust me. God put you there because there's people that you have to share the gospel with. I'll never forget when that first hit me. I was, uh, I worked at a concrete company like the first five years after I got saved. And I didn't do like, you know, ministry, quote, unquote. And I was walking across this thing. I was asking that question, God, what's my purpose? And I had my little lunch pail. And I had to walk across this, this big ditch. And I looked at that concrete plant. And I was just a, I was the lowest man on the, on the I was, I was front end loader driver. I worked with shovels. And the Lord told me, he said, Kevin, this is your church you're walking to. These people, your congregation, they're not know me. You're their pastor. Your life is the sermon. And they're going to respond to me based on your life. This is your mission field. And I've sent you here. And you know, I actually took, I took that to heart. And I, I didn't hear an audible voice. I just felt that in my heart. Just, you know, felt that uh, come up. And you know what I started doing once a month? I would get on the concrete floors of that bathroom and skip lunch. I'd fast and pray for those men. And it's beautiful now to go back to that plant. I mean, I'm talking about... It's like 12 years later, I go back there. Those guys are like, man, you know, I'm serving Jesus today because of you. Really? Their conversion happened after I left. You see, you're on mission with the Lord everywhere you go. And that was the thing about the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, they didn't have outreach programs. They were the outreach program. <laughs> they didn't have the evangelism arm of the church. What are you doing for a They were that. And when you're really passionate for the Lord, you love to share Jesus with people in a natural way. You know, you don't get the bullhorn on the side of the street and do it, right? Do not leave it. It's in natural ways. You know, your waiter or waitress, you ask them, hey, you know, um, some of us talk, you know, hey, man, I'm in school. What are you in school for? What are you doing? 
and you start natural conversation. Your neighbors, and what, what burns me is that we will spend thousands to go overseas, but we have neighbors who've never heard the gospel, and we get too busy to talk to them. And I, I'm the same way. This is confession day for your pastor, right? I get tired, and you know what? I'm like, oh God, there's that neighbor. I don't know, I'll get a conversation. And I go in my house quickly. You ever done that? And you go in and you shut it. And the other day I did that, the Lord was like, gee, man, you've been a real missionary for me. I'm like, oh, you're right. But usually when we lose passion, we get complacent on the mission of Jesus. And one of the clearest signs of a loss of passion is we lose focus on the mission of Jesus. Listen, we should pass out blankets, we should do food ministry, and we should be meeting needs in the community. But sometimes that's just too easy. It's easy to just give a blanket to somebody. Sometimes it's too easy. Sometimes it's harder to build a relationship with someone who's far from God and have tough conversations. And they say, you're stupid. I don't, I don't believe what you believe. I don't believe the Bible. It's hard to do that, isn't it? But that's what Jesus wants us to do. I have friends who are complete, total atheists, philosophers. And man, I'll sit, I'll sit and have coffee with them and just disconnect with them and share with them. Man, just listen to them. It's living on mission for Jesus. See, Jesus said in Matthew 28, um, 18 to 20, Jesus said this. He says, go and make disciples. That word go there means this. Go and as you are going. Never stopping. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. Whatever you do. Make disciples. See, when you have your eyes open that you're always on mission with Jesus, it changes everything. Life actually becomes adventurous. You, you don't know today when you go to eat lunch after church, right? And that's when you get really hungry right now too. You can imagine the rice and the gravy and the beef tips. You can imagine the corn right now and the biscuits and your, your stomach is in knots, right? When you go, you have no idea who's waiting on that table, who comes to your table, who needs the love of Jesus in their life. You have no idea who that may be. I heard this, and I close with this quote here. It says, Did you ever hear about the company who makes blank bumper stickers? They're for those who don't want to get involved in anything. Sometimes our life is like a blank bumper sticker. And really, it should be Jesus loves the world what people should see on the bumper sticker of our life when we lose that passion sometimes guys it's like the church at Laodicea we get to a place we get comfortable we get content we get complacent and my prayer for you today is this it really is that you would have a passion stoked in you for the Lord that you would have a passion burning in you again see some of you in here you used to have a passion for Jesus and it got wet and somehow along the way your fire got wet and, and, and you don't have passion some of you in here don't know Jesus that well and you're getting introduced again to church and I pray that you have a passion for Jesus that you live for him and there's others of you in here who you do have a passion but let me warn you don't lose it don't lose your edge if you will stand with me this morning as you stand I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just, just, just for a few seconds the worship team's going to lead us in a song and, and as they do, I want you just to take a second to think about where are you at in your passion level with Jesus? Where are you at right now? As you listen to this message and heard about the church at Laodicea, but they got content, complacent, comfortable. Where are you at? And I want you to take a second as the band plays to worship and I want you to ask Jesus to say, Jesus, put a fire in my heart for you. Just renew the flames of passion again. Renew the flame of relationship. As they sing, won't you take a sacred moment 
And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 